I want to talk about grace, which is um, this concept that I found comes up hand in hand with grief the more that I've been kind of, you know, diving in. Um, My favorite writer of all time, author, I should say writer. My favorite writer. Uh, Anne Lamott talks about this a lot. My mom, who is an Episcopal priest, talks about it a lot. And grace is the idea of like something coming from just garbage situations and shit that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So it's really impossible for you to regret certain things. just like assumed (laughs) I just said in my head okay Janine if you're gonna talk about the night he died like maybe you should warn them that this is happening and then I like likened it to like the episode where you find out how Jack dies and this is us where like everyone's been waiting like y'all are on pins and needles from my experience of death which like first of all how dare I assume that like y'all care that much and like want to know, but also like creepy and also like, but we do that anyway. in like TV shows like tonight's night, we're going to find out the exact way this person died and how everybody felt about it. It's weird that we do that, but maybe because we're not used to death. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Last week was a year and a half since Alan died. And I'm going to try and recount the story of it, which is really weird for me because it's probably going to be totally different in three years when I recount it again. And it's already probably shifted so much since it happened to me. If I tried to relay it to you two days later, I mean, I would just have just opened my mouth and just like locusts would have flown out. I think if I tried to explain any of it 24 to 48 hours after it happened, it was so fucking wild and it's still really fucking wild. I probably think about that night. I used to do it every night before I went to bed. I would like recap it in my head, just like make sure it happened, which is pretty awful. Now I only do it maybe once every couple of days. It's really hard out here, (laughs) y'all. I want to talk about it for a lot of reasons, mainly because that's the kind of person that I am. I like to talk about it. And because I want to share some really wonderful things that came out of that night, which is insane to say, and I'm sure to hear that I'm going to tell you that there are good things that came from that night, but there are. And if you are not in the fucking mood, I get it. This had to happen sooner or later. And, um, I just wanted to talk about it. I think just so that everyone can be on the same page moving forward. If I'm going to keep telling everyone my story and like the weird thing that the weird things that happened to me, I think that it's important that you know. Okay. So as many of you may know, I was performing at a cabaret in Westchester that was about being big and beautiful. And I almost didn't do it because I was like kind of offended, not offended, but like, I don't know. It just like, wasn't something I was like that rare to do, but also these women were like really cool. And I hadn't sung in a while. And 
I was getting to do some really awesome songs that I would never have sung otherwise. And so like, I was excited about it. And to be honest, I had spent the last two months taking care of my boyfriend who was recovering from knee surgery. And that meant everything, y'all. Like, I had to go up and downstairs like you would not believe because he couldn't do it. I would have to get him water, all that stuff. And like, what I'm so happy about is that I, I would complain about it like a normal person, but I would always like end by being like, but you're so like, he was so nice. He was always so appreciative. He thanked me every second. And I remember telling him that I was so glad if I could do this for anybody, I wanted to do it for him. I'm so glad that I told him that. Ah, okay. Well, y'all, come on. This is grief. Welcome. Um, I'm just really glad that I said that out loud to him because he kept telling me how great of a nurse I was and he couldn't wait to like give me massages like for the rest of my life or whatever anyway. But I have been spending a lot of time doing that and not really doing my own thing. So this is like my first night that I get to kind of have to myself and like go to this cabaret and there was BYO and I had like plans to go out afterwards. <laughs> And uh, he was tired, and he wasn't feeling so great. His back was really bothering him. Hey, y'all, guess what? Those are symptoms of a blood clot. Please, I'm going to tell you right now. If you have lower back pain, if you're really tired and you can't explain why, and then eventually you start getting sweaty and dizzy, which I was not around for him so to, to experience that, but if you are experiencing any of those things and you're like, I'm tired and I don't know why, and my back hurts and I don't know why, it must be my mattress, like, please just go check it out. Just do it. Okay. So I'm at this cabaret. Before I go, he's, you know, the saying he's going to take a nap. I put on this, like, exfoliant on my lips. The things you remember, I swear to God, I put this, like, chapstick on my lips because they were really, really chapped. <laughs> but they were, like, it was, like, textured. So, like, it looked like I had, like, some weird, like, scrub on my lips. And he went to kiss me, and he, like, pulled back and was like, oh, what's that? And I was like, sorry, I'm, like, exfoliating my lips. And he was like, okay. And he kissed the side of my mouth instead. Uh, and I remember that because it was the last one. And then I go downstairs and put a spare key in the mailbox because his dad's coming later to check on him. And I yelled up, I love you. And he yelled up, I love you too. Yelled down, I love you too. And that was the end. That was the last interaction. No texts, no phone calls. That was it. Because we had been together for so long that we didn't need to check up on each other. And like, I had sent him a G chat a little bit later being like, how's everything going? You took a nap? And like, he was in the ambulance. <laughs> Woo, okay. Anyway. So I'm about to, I, I warm up for my cabaret. Uh, I, we're about to get started. And his parents are telling me that he's in the hospital. His my our, my roommate at the time is Facebook messaging me, being like, uh, the ambulance just arrived. I don't know what happened. I think he fell. And I'm thinking, okay, he took a shower because he was like, you know, maybe trying to wake up or whatever, and like he fell in the fucking shower and but like banged up his knee that he just had surgery on. Like that's what I'm thinking. It's like a physical stumble. Cause he shouldn't have taken a shower without me, and I told him not to, and he whatever. So that's what I'm thinking. And I'm mad at him because oh, his parents are like, we're on the way to the hospital. I'm just thinking he like banged up his knee and worst case scenario, he has to get, you know, more surgery. Not what happened y'all. <laughs>
Then I, my phone dies because I have a fucking droid and I, no one has a charger because no one lives in, everyone lives in iPhone land. I don't have a phone, but my buddy Will is coming to the cabaret and he has his phone and I gave Alan's dad his number. So Will is like, comes into the cabaret and is like, Alan's dad's on the phone for you. Not great. Not great. So I, I've just finished belting my song and I like did the timing and I'm pretty sure that, um, but when I was just warming up about like practicing my songs, he had died because Alan's dad told me that the situation was grave was the word that he used grave and that I should get here as soon as possible. I didn't understand what was going on. Like how could a banged up knee be grave? I don't understand how the body works. Clearly he had already died. And I had no idea because they, uh, Alan's dad didn't want to tell me, right. You know, when I'm in the middle of this cabaret, which is probably the, it was the right thing to do. It's just hard to know that like, (laughs) I had such hope in the 45 minute lift that I took from Westchester to the hospital. And it was just like, for not, but like going, thinking back on it, there's just no way I think I could have survived that cab ride. Anyway. So they tell me to come to a cab, they come, come to the hospital and I'm texting my parents who also know at this point and are saying things like, let keep us posted, like fucking liars, the lot of them. <laughs> and I'm both like so immensely grateful and so fucking mad because <laughs> that's a lot, uh, especially from someone like me who does not like to be left out of things. Uh, so, and I was in a big, in a big, big way, but here's like a little like pause for a second. I tell you that grace, this idea of grace is already coming into my life because Will and Sam were there. These are friends of mine for five years and they're coming to see the cabaret. I tell them Alan's in the hospital. I'm calling a lift. I'm scared. They turn right around and they're like, let's get in a lift. And they get in the lift with me with their wine that they brought because it's BYO and we're sitting in the car and I'm talking about that episode of Grey's Anatomy where Meredith's stepmom gets the hiccups and dies and like what if it's like that it was like that and they're like I mean how many times has that happened they're saying all the things you're supposed to say to your friend who's concerned I don't know how scared they were I don't know how like real they thought this was I certainly didn't think he was going to die I thought I was going to maybe walk in on him in a coma before he, I was going to walk in on him dead because just like the way that the situation was grave to me was ominous, but it wasn't final, you know? Anyway, so we get to the hospital and um, they have to stay outside because they have booze. Plus they can't go back because they're not family. And so I'm standing there and Alan's brother has just arrived with his wife and we're just all kind of like just scattered Alan's dad waves us back and is like so calm, which like I see is like, oh, we're fine. But now I know what the body and brain are capable of in times of extreme trauma. And this man is in shock, obviously, but I don't see that because I'm just sort of like, oh, I had to do this cabaret. Now I can't get this cabaret. Like, of course, these things you're thinking because you just want life to go back to normal. And he pulls us back and then he tells me, and I'm trying to remember the way that he said it. I think that he said, Alan's gone. And I swear to God, y'all, what I thought, because this was like August, this was August 26th. I thought this mother, <laughs> I thought this motherfucker planned this 
to surprise me for my birthday. That's the first... The idea of him dying was so fucking wacko that instead, my brain said, there's no way this is true. This idiot pulled me out of this cabaret he knew I was, like, on the fence about doing, faked a fall in the shower to get everybody to the hospital. He was going to be in the hospital bed and I was going to go freak out. And then he was going to pop up and say, happy birthday. (laughs) Convinced would not hear. Otherwise was like, what are you talking about? What, what, what? Nobody like no one knew what to do. I don't cry immediately upon like it takes a long time it's always taken me a long time for me to like understand tears and like get like get what's happening in my heart and my brain to like come out of my eyes and of course like everyone processes things differently so I'm like just I don't understand and then I just start yelling I start screaming what do you mean what the fuck do you mean just yelling just yelling just yelling everyone's like already processing everyone's already dealing with me I won't I won't hear it I won't hear it because what are you I can't hear it. And then they show me. And it's weird because like, and again, like, hi y'all trigger, trigger, trigger. But at the same time, not because like he didn't look any different to me. The only thing that looked different is that he had an intubator like in his mouth. They were like intubating him. So he just looked like he, he looked like an old person on a bed, but like young. I mean, like all those times you see like people like, you know, struggling to breathe on those like oxygen shoes, but he didn't look dead. He just looked like he looked asleep. It's stupid, but that's what it was. He looked asleep. The only thing is that when I got closer to him, there was like starting to be some blue around his neck. Like his body was already starting to like lose color. And that's when I was like, how long has he been dead? Because I'm pretty sure I'm kind of dumb sometimes, but like, I'm pretty sure that you don't just immediately turn blue. And that's when they told me that it had been, like, hours. (laughs) And it's interesting because, like, you say a lot of things that you don't mean or you do really, really mean. I can't even tell you what I said. I'm sure I told, I mean, I'm sure I said some wacko shit, like, how dare you and I love you and we're supposed to get married and all this shit that, like, is just the stuff that you say that's, like, years of pent-up emotion and also things you've seen on television and movies ways you see people react throwing themselves over the chest so you do those things because you think that like that's what you're supposed to do but then you also do weird things like I don't know go outside and like crawl into it like literally I was like Blair witching in a hole like in a corner of the hospital the doctor came and I was just like no I was like I won't see like (laughs) through a tantrum like a child like I'm not looking at this fucking doctor's face this poor man like you can't stop it if it happens like this poor guy, but I wouldn't see him because he was the face of death to me. So fuck, you can fuck right off. Like, I was just like a petulant child reverting back to like, because like, what am I supposed to do? The rug is literally pulled out from under me. This man I was supposed to just see later is now dead. Like, are you kidding? So all of this stuff is swirling. I can't tell you how long I was in the hospital. I know, like, I, I do know, but I like, it couldn't have been more than like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know. I like called my mom. Like, none of it made any sense. And here's that Grace coming back in, y'all. Ready? So Grace swoops in, that saucy minx, and I get a text message on my phone, and it's from Will and Sam, y'all. Guess where they are? The text message says, is everything okay? We're still outside. These cuties didn't leave. 
And when I talk to them about it later, they're like, well, why are we supposed to go? Like, we came 45 minutes, we need to know. And I'm like, yeah, sure, that's totally, totally accurate. But, like, also, you know I'm with, like, my people. Not, my, I mean, like, I'm with, like, Alan's family. So you could easily just be like, oh, shoot us a text later. Maybe they had an inkling that something was wrong. I don't know. The point is they didn't go anywhere. And that's the game changer, y'all. That's when, like, the timeline shifts. That's when, like... For the rest of my life, those two men are like forever. I will just cherish them. I cherish them for a lot of reasons I had before that. But that they both were still there, that they sent me a text message and they continue to do that in their daily lives and the way that they treat me and the way that they love me is their equivalent of saying, are you okay? We're still outside. Like, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to leave you until you're good. That's what those two dum-dums did. And once I got that text message, it was this I this sort of like, it was like I was in this cocoon of loneliness. I felt alone for like 20, 25, 30 minutes. And then when they sent me that, it was like I could break open. And I was like, oh my God, right. I have people, people outside of this hell, this actual hell that want to know what's up and like care about me and like still do. That's still happening. That's still existing. I can't really describe it other than that. It's grace. And so I was like, okay, bye. I run out of the hospital. Literally like, bye, Alan. Bye, Alan. Didn't say goodbye. Didn't like have this moment of like, I will always love you kissing his cold forehead, like cutting a lock of his hair. I didn't do any of that. I just bounced. It is not romantic, y'all. It is messy and gross. I bounced and I ran outside and I don't even remember saying the words. They just knew. We just knew. We all collapsed. It was a f- disaster zone. I held them. They held me. And then they were like, okay, well, what do we do? We're all now in the same space of shock and just like, what the hell? And Sam goes to get the car so that we he can drive me to Narstown so I can spend the night at Alan's house with his parents. Will and I get another lift and go back to my apartment which I can only sort of look at from a distance because now the world has been like, now it's like the opposite of Wizard of Oz. Like now it's, now everything's black and white. Now I look at it and it's like dust and sand and I don't even want to go near it. It's a, it's a new place. And I don't want to go inside because as I've told people before, the last time Alan got at, walked, well, he didn't walk out of the house, but the last time Alan left that apartment was the last time. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to be doing things in a, that he can't share with me. We won't be able to do things together. So if I can sort of preserve the things we've done together, and if that can be the last time I walked out of that house too, then that's what I'm going to do. So I never went back. Will, bless that angel boy, went into the house and got me like, pillows and like a toothbrush and probably some other weird things that he was just like maybe this thing because no one knows what they're doing and like he told my roommate that Alan died like just the bravest soldier walking in and doing that I'm like sitting outside just like keeping one eye on it being like what's going on then we go and sit on the steps for this for Sam to come pick us up also beautiful angel boy just like all by himself processing his emotions going to get the car because he knows that that's his job oof yummy We are in the car and I'm just like, it's just like a joke. Like I can't stop laughing. It's really honestly like they do. And that part is right. 
I just like think things are so funny. I feel drunk. Like I'm just like, I'm not. I'm like laying in the back seat. Like we're driving to Narstown. I have to pee so bad. We stop at a Sonic. I'm just like shooting the shit with the Sonic workers, like peeing in the bathroom. Like nothing is really settling in. And it's certainly not occurring to me that like, this is going to be my life for the rest of my life. I'm just like dealing with this wacko night. Go to Alan's parents' house. And I think the first thing I remember seeing is his cell phone was sitting on the table. Alan's cell phone was just sitting there. And he was like such a tech weirdo. Those of you know, like I have like a million things of cords I'm looking at right now. Consoles and cords and electronics that were all his. I certainly don't know what to do with. But like he loved electronics. So like the phone was like such a big piece of who he was. And so like just seeing it sort of abandoned like that, just sitting there, like how fast nothing matters. (laughs) And seeing my unopened text message of like you okay I love you like I'll be there soon that he never read like that is that did a little bit to like carving away at the heart of what was really going on like at search like I could like pull away pieces of like the shock and really get to the root of what's happening here is that he's never going to pick up that phone again um and the rest of the night was just sort of a blur I mean we all like told stories and like did the things you're supposed to do because like there's no alternative but it also we were just all just sort of in this fog of like what on earth um and this was in the evening so like we had just I was up all night I didn't sleep but like then the next morning people were starting to come over because that's what you do and there was food and there was drinks and there was hugging and there were tears. And it was just this wild thing that I just kept being like, when is Alan going to show up for this? Like all these people are here. Like, when is he going to get here <laughs> to see all these people that came to see him? It's just brain stuff. And that's about like as specific as I can get about that night, because it is so wacky and wild and it doesn't make sense still. And That night was so blurry and yet still so vivid in that I have yet to experience anything like it in terms of the emotions, so it sticks with you. I know that I'm going to experience more nights like that because death is inevitable for all of us. Did I think I was going to have to do it so soon? No. Did I think I was going to have to do it with Alan? Never. Never. And the grace part, here's the part that's wonderful. Right. So like, how could it possibly be? Right. But y'all know that, you know, it, there has to be those two boys. And I say boys, not that they're not men. I know they're men, Kevin. (laughs) I just mean, they're, they're just this, that's like a term of endearment. I'm trying to say like, they're just so yummy. And the word boy just feels just like cute. Anyway, these two friends of mine, it changed the game. And I was just talking about this with that to, to them the other night at my housewarming party because like while I wish I wish more than anything that if we had to go back to our friendship the way it was which was wonderful so that Alan could be back we would do that we've all agreed that that would be fine Um, no questions asked we would do it but it also like hurts a little to say that because what I have experienced I'm gonna huh (laughs) what I have experienced with these boys is like is unlike anything I've ever had with someone who is not my family. I mean, they are my family, but like the utter conviction and like 
just solid ground that they give me all the time starting that night. Just no, no question about we're getting in the lift. No question that we're coming with you. No question that we're standing outside the hospital until you tell us what to do. No question that we're coming with you to Alan's parents' house. No question that we're staying with you. Like, they have been so solid for me this entire time. And even now when like, I'm pretty solid myself, like I can do it myself, but I don't want to all the time. And they haven't backed away from me. They haven't been like, okay, you're good. We're, we're going to just like, you know, let you do this. Like still so involved in my life. So important to me. That friendship is what grace to me is about. And so, like, when I think about not having it, it makes me really sad, even if that meant Alan could come back, which I still would choose. So my point is, is that there is, like, a shift in the way that things work after someone dies that is can also be really precious and special in the wake of this insane traumatic loss that almost makes it, it's something worth fighting for, even if you'd give it all up. And that's so complicated and tricky to navigate, like to be with friends with someone and know that like, if I had a choice to like, not have this relationship with them so that Alan would be back, I would take it and they would understand that. But my God, if it has to be this way, what a lovely fucking thing it is to have just this special thing that could only come out of the aftermath of such like, gross trauma. And they're not the only ones. Like, my boy Steven and my boy Mitchell, Steven was Link when I did Hairspray. And he and I were like, friendly. I liked him. He's one of those people like, where you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did a show with you. And that was going to be it. And then he shows up with tomato pie the day after Alan dies. He brings tomato pie and he and Mitchell have already talked about if I, like, that I should stay with them until I can like get back on my feet and find a place to live. Like already have discussed it. Not like 24 hours later. And now they're two of my favorite people on the planet. They came and bought my, helped me buy my couch. They put my bed together in my new apartment. They're like such special men in my life that I'm a hundred percent sure wouldn't be there if Alan hadn't died. And that sucks to know that like they exist in like parallel universes like that, that Alan can't also be here to see this joy because of his death. This joy has existed. That is almost as heartbreaking as Alan actually dying. But it also has this little like twinge of beauty because like, what would I do? And so when I like jokingly talk at work or like to my family about like these boys in my life and people, you know, like it's a silly rolling of the eyes, like Janine and her men, but like, I'm not joking y'all. There's a reason. It's not that I just like want to sing show tunes all the time, though. That's a great perk. It's that these four men (laughs) and more, and more. There's so many other people that I'm talking about. But like, I'm choosing these people that bring me joy because what the fuck else should you do, right? Like, why on earth am I going to put myself in any situation where I feel anything less than full? Like, life's too motherfucking short. That's like, that's it, man. So if these people make me happy, and they want to be there for me, and they want to hold me up, uh, yeah, that's my choice. I'm going to do that. And how lucky I am, and that's so wild to say, but, like, 
I'm sitting in this apartment, literally on my new couch, like watching the beautiful sunlight. I feel like Jonathan from Queer Eye, like watching this Gorgina sunlight coming in through this Gorgina window, having a baby precious moment. And I'm alone. I'm alone in this new apartment. And I'm feeling so safe and so content knowing that like the steps that it took to get me here, like I was never alone, never really alone since that text message that said, are you okay? We're still outside. And they're all just like still outside. They're like never going to just like let me be alone until I'm ready. And even here being by myself, I know they're not far. I know they'd be here if I, they, if I needed them. All of them. This is like, this is not just like Will and Sam. This is like all the human beings that have been there for me. That goes to people at work who listen to me when I walk in and I'm like, oh my God, y'all trigger, trigger, trigger to let me talk. They give me space to do that. My kids who like know stuff and I don't really talk about Alan to my kids, but like they give me space to just like be wacko and weird. My family, it's hard having me in a family sometimes, but they are handling it. They give me space. My friends are everything. Like, all these people who've just given me this room to grow. Everyone sort of can widen. You're not really sure how you do it, but you find a way to sort of expand when something like this happens. You either expand and make room for people, or you shrivel up and you fucking die, basically. Even if you're still alive. And how lucky I am that I'm surrounded by people who know how it who know the answer is to expand and make room for me. So that's the piece that's about grace in the face of just bullshit. And I know people are going to be like, well, Alan can see that. Alan knows like how, you know, he's here with you. And I don't know if that's true. I hope it's true. Because it, it's as good as it's going to get to me having it all. (laughs) So, uh, Ghost Alan, I hope you're loving this. And uh, if you could just make the plants move. So I know you're here. Guys, what if the plant moved right now? I could just lie and tell you that it is. It's not me. It's not me. He wouldn't do that. He's not like...